Joining us online, River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We're here tonight, midweek, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And tonight we're going to minister on the design of Bible supply. We ought to talk about that. And I'll start out by saying tonight something that you might find true. Wealth is very important to all of us. As a matter of fact, until or unless we make it unimportant, it's one of the most important things in a human's life is their daily supply. Even in the animal kingdom, that's what most all of them do all day long is forage for food. And then if you get in most countries that have open markets, no refrigeration, they spend a great part of their day either getting food to market to sell or buying it and taking it to their home. I like that. We ought to preach that. Amen. But Steve, you also agree with this, that money or supply or funding for the church or for church people, listen to this, is the most controversial item in all of church history. They're not wondering about where he was raised from the dead or where he was born as much as money in the church. It's very controversial. And I'll say this. Millions have stumbled over this part of the gospel unto going to hell. They've stumbled saying money is the root of all evil. It's not. But the problem of money over either the clergy getting it or selling indulgences or whether Christians should have it or Christians that have too much of it. It's very controversial, and it has caused many a person to say, I'm not going to a church that talks about money or that doesn't do right by their money. They, got, they talk about it too much, or they don't talk about it, or whatever. And I, then, fourthly, I will say that the church has had no answer for it. The church has had no answer for money, for funding, for Bible supply, in the kingdom of God. We have not known what to do with it, how to answer it. And it's like a million little ants coming out of the hole and just going a hundred different ways. Everybody's pretty much working out their own salvation about money. But the Bible talks about it and it's fairly clear, but people don't want to talk about it. So if you would turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 10 and let's just unravel that. Now, I'm trusting that everybody here has got a pretty good handle on it. We know basically what to do. But it's not enough in this day, family, for us to just to know what to do about ourselves. We have to be able to share it because it's a problem for other people. You've worked it out. I've worked it out. We're happy and we're, we're at peace about it. But a lot of people do not. And we need to be able to share with them the answer. What if that's the one thing standing between them and serving God in a in a, a joyful way is just to get their money straightened out or get the kingdom money. We should know we should straighten it out. If that's all it is, if that's all it is, is what does God care about money? Because uh, an old Baptist axiom is, is God, we're getting a new pastor. If you'll keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And they laugh about that. <laughs> and uh, then they, they give him a little parsonage, uh, 11 or 1200 square feet. One of the oldest homes in town. One of the oldest cities in the South Plains, and uh, and then then they'll they'll say 
the pastor will say, you know, I don't make enough to pay my bills. And he says, well, dear Lord, we're giving you a house. You don't have to pay for your house. And they counted it full rental value or something like that. And it's just, it's just, it's just wrong. It's evil what we've done over money, thinking that we were defending the Lord, that the Lord just had so much of it and he really needed us to protect his little pot of money, his little supply. And we've done a good job of regulating that. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 23, uh, Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? <laughs> that was a big statement. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Let's just stop there and say, why were they astonished? Oh, they must have had some riches. They were all businessmen, or a lot of them were. They were astonished at his words. So there was controversy from the very beginning, wasn't there? But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, children. Now this, is, this would set you on your ear. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Oh, so he explained it a little bit there. That trust in riches. So we get that, don't we? Hallelujah. Uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And the, again, they were astonished out of measure. And then they said, they all said, saying, who then can be saved? Now, why would you ask that question if you was in a, in a, in a beggar commune? Why, why would that come up? They all had something, didn't they? So either the term that he used was something that meant modest, and it's not translated right here. I don't believe that. Or they all had something and they were concerned that having something, Jesus just kicked them out of the kingdom. Said, get rid of your money or get rid of heaven. And he said, uh, with men it is impossible, but with not, God, not with God, for with God all things are possible. I looked up verse 23, uh, how hardly they are, in the Amplified, and it says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, with what difficulty... With what difficulty will those who possess wealth, and here it is, and keep on holding it, enter the kingdom of God? So if we're going to understand wealth and supply and funding in the kingdom. We need to know the little nuances, the little discrepancies that separate motive and greed and fear and uh, people trying to have money to lord it over other people. All those things might be involved here. But the Lord came down on hard on the people, on people that have money and then wanted to get saved. And then we could go to the rich young ruler where he said, take, he said uh, uh, come and follow me. And, and after he said that, or before he said that, he said, give to the poor. And he gave him the Ten Commandments. It's in uh, Mark chapter 17, I think. And... Uh, and it says the man went away very sad because he had much possessions. So he didn't want to give it up. And the Lord never said you have to give it all up. He just said, give, give. And uh, he misunderstood. A lot of misunderstanding. First John chapter 2, verse 15. 
If you want to turn there, I'm going to slip over there. 1 John chapter 2. The Apostle John's going to tell us something along this line. Now, I know we all know about funding, about supply, about our place. But if you ever get something, now here you are, family, if you ever get something, that's when the heat will be turned up. If you ever start handling a million dollars, then people are going to, you know, talk about you and, and ask you questions. Right now, it's no big deal. Everybody's just making a living and everybody's just doing the best they can. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whew. That's a frog strangler right there. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It just, it can't abide. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the lust of the flesh. Well, who, who hadn't had that walk through their life? Uh, the, the, the lust of the eyes. Wow, that might cover a lot of ground that we couldn't be exempt from. And then the pride of life. People that are so afraid to die, so afraid that to get into a situation where their body might be hurt or they might suffer or something, just, just such pride of life. He said, not, not happening. In Matthew chapter 6, let's slip over there. We're just setting this up, seeing what the Word says so that we won't leave here like we came. Saying, I know all about that. And because it is one of the most controversial things in all churches, because of all the backgrounds, you have to fix it. We talk about money and have been accused thereby. We talk about it every Sunday. But it's never, you'll, if you'll listen to the, to the scriptures and the admonition, we never talk about you ought to give more for the church or you ought to give more. For anything, it's just here's the blessings that the Lord has fused into the life of giving. You, you, you believe in giving. It's just a matter of how much and under what conditions. Let's just take the mystery off of it. Let's just go to the word and see what the word says. Let's see what our testimony is. And so we do. I've been I've been teaching money for 40 years two years, once a week, or causing it to be done, one of the two. And I'll tell you, when you have a church that's 100% tithers, when you have a church that'll rise up to anything, when you have a church that financially is not afraid of anything, anywhere, anybody, you could say there was some fruit to all that. There could be some people that just couldn't stand the cooking of that to get to the end of it and they stomped off and, and there have been some that I know of that stomped off, but their time was short. I mean, it was, they were leaving in any way because the same root of that is truth and there was plenty of that coming out of here and they were on their way anyway. But Matthew chapter six, let's look in verse 19. 
This is red letter again. It says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, said the Lord Jesus, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But, okay, so it's good to lay up, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Verse 21, let's read it together. Verse 21, I'm in King James. Ready, read. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, let's read it again, first person. For where my treasure is, there will my heart be also. Now that's truth. That's truth. That's what the Lord Jesus said to us. And no one here or anywhere is exempt. Where our treasure is, there our heart is also. No one says I'm the exception and gets away with it. No one says that's for those folks and not for me. That's exactly how it is for everybody all the time, all over. Where my treasure is, where I put my treasure, wherever I esteem, value, and call worth, whatever item or person that is, that's where my heart's going to be. So literally, you can steer your heart. Just figure out where you want your heart to be and put your treasure there. It's not like, oh, it got away from me. I don't know where it is. Yeah, you do. You put it there. If it's motorcycles or boating or camping or hunting or if it's uh, something as wonderful as your treasure being your family, your wife and your family, uh, or being the kingdom of God, wherever it is, righteous or unrighteous, that's where your heart is. And it's hard to separate you from your heart. Once you put your heart somewhere, that's pretty much where it is and where it's going to stay. Uh, the Passion Version says, don't keep hoarding. So that's a new word. Don't keep hoarding. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. So that's a little different take on it, on what, what he said there. Uh, verse 19, let me get, let me get back to that. Uh, Lay not up for yourselves treasures. He said, don't keep hoarding for yourselves. I think hoarding is a bad, is a, is a word you don't want to be associated with. It's a negative word, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Laying up sounds like, well, yeah. That's, don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. So here we have a little bit of a, uh, a, a definition of what the Lord's talking about when he's talking about money. He's saying anything that's a treasure to you that can be stolen by thieves. So that, that sort of separates it from things that are heavenward or that are emotional or that are Godward. And you think of things stolen by thieves maybe being money or treasure or uh, uh, cars or a house or something that is just where your, where your heart is. It's not wrong to have all that. He's not saying that. He just said, don't put your heart in that. And he goes on there and he says, material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, ah, here's the good part. Stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. And here it is. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. So once again, you can steer your heart. And where your heart is is very important. 
If we've ever been in trouble, any of us, it's because our heart got away from us and we found it somewhere where we didn't want to be found. But there, there it was and there we were and we were embarrassed and, and, uh, uh, and, and devalued. We, you know, maybe, maybe worse than that. He said, for your heart will always pursue, your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. There's just a lot you could say about that. I trust you're thinking about it right now. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. So we have to be mindful. We have to use wisdom of where we let our treasure go to. So a lot of times it's the Lord Jesus said about money, having wealth and hoarding, you could let your treasure go somewhere. In other words, if you had wealth and you didn't have to work or the traditional sense of just going to work every day, you had some levity. You, you, you didn't have to go to work. And so you're going to move your treasure from being in your business or your job or your whatever. You might move it to some place of, of pleasure or a different kind of business that's maybe more lucrative, but not necessarily ethical or moral. All sorts of scenarios that we could go there. That's how people get in trouble, isn't it? It's never like, I, uh, I got a bunch of money and today I'm just going to go ruin myself. It's always a, a gradient where we slip into things. And all of a sudden our treasure is where we didn't mean for it to be. Our treasure used to be with our wife. Our treasure used to be with the kingdom of God, but somehow it slipped off as we gave attention to other things, not intending that our treasure ever would go there, but just that we would slip in and look or slip in and feel or slip in and enjoy. And then all of a sudden we're not in church and we're not with the kingdom people and we're with people that, you know what I mean? We, we all know what that looks like. And it's a, it's always a bankrupt. The word, uh, Hoarding. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves. Hoarding. It's I wrote down. It's the worth of a treasure. Is in its now value. So hoarding. Why would anybody hoard? What is something that you hoard? It's something that you don't need that day. It's 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 extra. It's it, it's put up because of something for another day. So I put down the worth of a treasure is in its now value versus its someday value. So people that hoard things, and there's some terrible stories. They used to have it on TV. It had a show about hoarders. And bless their hearts, they're just, they're just, uh, they're, uh, they're not free. They're, they're, they're in bondage because of the fear that I need this. And so their fear, their treasure goes into a someday and it completely swallows up today. Because we've seen houses where you couldn't, you couldn't walk through the whole house except through a narrow path. And then uh, my friend told me, he said, then one day he didn't have anywhere else to put anything. He put it in the door and so he could never even go to that room again. And so it's like, okay, where's your treasure? Well, it's not in today because today was completely wiped out. He was very fearful and very afraid, very afraid. Uh, the worth of a treasure is in its now value. So if you say like that joke, uh, I, honey, do you love me? I told you I loved you when we got married and it never changes. I'll let you know. 
You know, we know that's just crazy. Well, that's not that's not giving value to your treasure. Hoarded riches have no value until they are transacted. In other words, someday when you sell all those old newspapers and those old train sets and whatever people collect that, that cover up their lives, then it would have value. But until that day, what's hoarded in, in your life has no value. You can't eat it. You can't drive it. You can't. You can't and if you don't give it away, it has no value. So it's just a weight on you. And it's that thing where moth and rust doth corrupt. Well, you go, oh, we'll never be one of those people. These people never thought they would be either. So fear crept in. Anxiety crept in. Well, it's, there's a gradient on that, too. We could all have things where we're not completely fear free. We're not hoarding things in our house or our car. You ever been through the Walmart parking lot and just walked to the front door and looked in cars? And you go, they're not sleeping in it. They, they've set up an apartment complex. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, my word. Oh, my word. My trash can looks better than that. I, I wouldn't let my trash can look like that at all. And so it's just you go, who, who's, who's doing that? Well, it's someone that's not free. And so all of us, in some degree, some small dimension, we're always guarding it, have been there. Not, not in that visible where anybody could look in, but we, we get anxious about stuff and we put stuff back that we are afraid that if it got away, we would be insecure. Hoarding. But if you go back to the other definition, uh, verse uh, 19, lay up not for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. Don't lay up. I've been on a thing for about probably 12 years now where I am just bless her darling heart but I'm telling you the first few months that of 1917 the first months of the summer I was just getting rid of everything I went up my attic Pam knows about this I went up my attic and I, I brought down all the fall stuff and we had some fall stuff but it wasn't hoarding because we put it all out every year <laughs> it was all on show and uh, I brought it all down, put it in the garage, put it on boards and, and tables. And I had a garage sale like nobody's business. And about four o'clock, I got tired and I told Pam, what's this? And people would come up and I'd say, if you give me $5, I'll give you this whole section of the garage. And there would be all sorts of stuff in there. I wanted to be free of everything. Well, you can go overboard. Because then I was going after the Christmas stuff. And I, I told my mother, she called me and I said, yeah, I'm fixing to get rid of everything because I'm never going to need it. I'm here by myself. I'm never going to put up Christmas. Uh, she said, why don't you wait a year, son? Why don't you wait a year? So I said, OK, for you, I'll wait a year. Well, praise God. That was uh, so you can. You can so you can, my point is, you can get out of your mind. You can get out of your perfect place of balance in every direction. And we have to guard that and, and come back to this and say, what is the value of this? If, if the value is not today, if it can't be transacted today, it has no value. It doesn't mean that you couldn't someday do it, that you couldn't sell your collection or you couldn't uh, uh, whatever with, with whatever. But today it has no value. If you can't transact it today, it has no value. And it's taking up the value of things that do have value. 
Anyway. Hoarded riches have no value until they are transacted. Lay up treasure, something it's talking about. They are transient. I, I wrote this down. I just had to write it down because it was coming to me. It, they are transient if, as if they did not exist until you wanted to transact them. So in other words, all you, our hoarded stuff, our laid up treasure, things that, that we think, ah, oh, someday I may put that out. Someday I may drive that. Someday I may sell that. Someday I may paint that and fix that or whatever. The some days, they take up your space for today because they have no value and they even take away the value of what you have today. I wrote down, they are gathered for another day. Hoarded things are gathered for another day. And these are not evil things. These are not bad things. This is not like I, I keep wine bottles or I, I take whiskey bottles or, or whatever. Uh, James 4.14 says this. Just listen to this one. James 4.14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. Could we have a better amen on that? Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. So James is saying, don't invest in tomorrow. Not, not truly he was saying that, but he was saying, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day we're about the kingdom. It takes, a lot of, it takes a lot of time and effort and thought to lay up treasure for another day. And we put it on hold. Many times we just put the value of that treasure on hold and it has no value to our life until we transact it, until we sell it or give it or use it or bury it or whatever people do. So it's kind of a decluttering message so far, but that's not where I'm going. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, would you please? We ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. I'm not sure everybody's going to like this message, but we have, to, we have to lay down foundation. Chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Now, this is way old covenant. <laughs> this is not far from the first part of it. But it says in chapter 8, you know these verses, verse 11. Let's read that. Uh, I'll read it, and y'all just read with me. Therefore, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. He said, beware. Lest that when thou hast eaten and art full and has built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, we're having a good life, would you say? That he's, he's painting a good life here. Then thine heart be lifted up. So he's talking about somebody that put their treasure in what they had built up and accumulated and what had been, how the Lord had blessed them. But then their heart, they found one day they went up there and they found their heart was up there. They only intended for their treasure to be 
goodly houses and cattle and gold and silver. But then it says, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee out forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. So he's talking about our heart there, isn't he? He said, the Lord blessed you. But then you forgot that it was the Lord that blessed you. Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness? Here's the testimony. Wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And so from, uh, from verse 14, he says, then thy heart be lifted up, now forget the Lord. He goes to 17 and says, and thou shalt say in thine heart, my power and the power of my and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. We're talking about the design of Bible supply here. So he said, that's where it goes. There's the progression. You didn't have anything. The Lord brought you through. He fed you. He gave you water out of a rock, supernaturally delivered you out of scorpions and drought. Somehow you made it. It's amazing. The Lord was the cause of all and every good thing. And then suddenly you got to the other side and you were thankful. You were grateful. And the Lord started prospering you. And then you forgot it was the Lord because you'd been through so much. Verse 18 says, but... This is how you ought to do it. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. Why? That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. So I, I went through that, that scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy 8. In verse 17, it says, you shall say in your heart. What does that mean? When you and I say in our heart, when do you reach the point of anything that you say in your heart? Well, it's the point of belief. It's when you believe something you say in your heart. I, I, I'm going there tomorrow or I'm this is where I want to eat or that's the kind of car I'm going to buy or this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. We say in our heart, we believe what we say. And these people had believed, verse 17, they had said in their heart, my power and the might of mine hand have gotten me this well. They believed it. It wasn't just a thing where they go, what are you talking about? They believed it. And you have to get to a place where you believe something, where you say it in your heart. You, you walk towards that. So that's why every day we have to check ourselves with the word of God and in prayer so the Lord can correct us when we just get off one degree just a slight little bit. And he said, oh, no, that's not where we're going. Well, Lord, this is no big deal. Everybody's doing it. It's not it's not hurting nothing. He knows where that thing will go, doesn't he? So uh, he said in verse 17, my power and the might of mine hands. So I looked up that word power and it's not dunamis. You know, we think everything with power has got to be dunamis, but this is Hebrew. And the word in uh, the Hebrew means firmness. My firmness. My tenacity, my holding on, it means vigor. So when you so when you say my power and the and the might of mine hand it's talking about who you are inside. My firmness. 
So the Lord's wanting to raise you up to be firm. It, this is the most interesting part of that in the definition is the word capacity. Oh, my, my capacity and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this power. In other words, we we were able to hold something at some point that earlier and before we would have never considered holding. Going to places or listening to things or our whole society right now has got us all hearing things that would that would cause. Our parents to just fly out. Do you all know that? I mean, we're seeing things in our society and hearing things that are just unconsciousable. It is totally Sodom and Gomorrah. And you go, no, it's not. Sodom was bad. They just acclimated to something that wasn't bad until it was. And God said, I've seen it bad all the time. Well, that's the way it is right now in our culture. It's godless. Doesn't mean we're godless, but it means that's what's in the spirit of our nation right now. God bless America. And it, we're not godless, but there is a godless thing trying to take over. Brother Hagin saw uh, in a vision one time, he saw a, a spirit come out of the Atlantic and come over the nation. And it, it saturated Washington, D.C. It came over the nation and it would be a, a, that spirit of deception. Uh, but we're not we're not allowing it. We're not putting up with it. We're not having it. But it's not because we're just somebody hot on a stick. It's because we have a firmness, we have a valor, we have a vigor, we have a force or a firmness inside of us that says, this is as far as it goes with me. And you got to fight for it. you got to fight for the line. So what do you say there? Verse 17, uh, my, my capacity and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. It's me. It's me. You have to be real careful in any society with titles. Titles are very dangerous. It's better. We, we, we don't have, I'll just say this on broadcast, we don't have deacons at River Church, and it's not because there's not deacons here. There are a house full of deacons. But you just don't want to name someone and have someone say, I know what they did. I know what the... And, and I'm as good as them, and so why am I not one? It's, it's just crazy. So we just, what we do is just watch people. All of us do. We watch each other and say that they're doing the work of the ministry without having to give them a title. We don't have a parking lot out there that says pastor's parking lot and first lady and elder this. And, you know, we don't, that's just, that's just not conducive to stay in pure inside. We're all the same. We're all the same. We're in different offices, perhaps, but we're all the same. Well, the words shall remember. Let's go down to that verse there. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. Let's see if I got time for this. Thou shalt remember. What shall, what's memory? What's remember based on? It's based on experience, but it's also based on promises. Thou shalt remember. Do you all remember the promise? By, thy stri by his stripes thou you were healed? Well, yeah. You go, well, I remember that promise. So when sickness comes, I remember the promise. Or I remember the testimony. I was sick before. He healed me. I remember that. So remembering is important. And because it says, you shall remember 
the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth or granteth the power, that capacity to get wealth. Guess what the word wealth means? It means, I looked it up, it means riches, substance, and goods. Ah, doggone for all those, those folks that says it's spiritual wealth. Nope. It's a bolt of royal cloth. It's a, it's a T-bone steak, and it's a, it's a motorcycle. What, what, whatever you need, that's what it is that uh, God's got. That he may establish, which means to ratify or to prove or to testify of his covenant. So my question here is, this is in Deuteronomy. Can we trust this to go forward in the new covenant? Well, everything in the promises is as good or better in the new covenant. There's nothing that takes a back seat to the old covenant in the new. But the way to get there is different. If you look in verse two, it says, uh, thou shalt remember the way the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years to humble thee. Well, does the Lord humble us in the New Testament with troubles and scorpions and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart? Well, I think he knows what's in our heart right now when we're born again, that thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and led thee with manna, fed thee with manna, manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone. So what's the difference between this in Deuteronomy and us? Should we should we take this? We should take the blessing. But the promise or the way to get it is not to keep the commandments. Um, uh, where is it? Verse six. Therefore, thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. That's how they got the blessing of the Lord, giving thee the power to get wealth. But that's not how we get it. Y'all say amen. That's not how we get it. How do we get it? We get it in Romans chapter three. Hallelujah. Verse 26, it says, I declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Nay, but by the law, by the law of, of works. Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So we get all this gravy in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We get it by faith. So all the benefits and none of the scorpions and drought and low humidity <laughs> or whatever they had back there. Isn't that good? But the, the point is, where we're going here is the design of Bible supply. No matter which covenant you're in, God wants to bless you. What's the catch? He wants you to know, for me to know, that it's him that did it. The promises did it. We put our faith in the promises. The promises that are made to us because of who we are. Who are we? We are no more or no less than what Jesus made us. That's exactly who we are. I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter. You are who he made you and no more. He's the king of kings. We're just the kings. He's the Lord of lords. We're just the lords. He's the king of the kings and the Lord of the lords. That's who we are. We're not changing that. Praise God. But all we have to do is believe it. We just accept the promises. So uh, we don't have time to go any further, but 
Uh, don't lust. That was one scripture. It said don't lust. Don't hoard. That's another little admonition that says if you want to stay on track, don't hoard things. Uh, another admonition was is remember God. Always keep him first. Every day in every way. Uh, one thing that said is the rich can hardly be saved. Why is that? Have you ever thought about why the rich can hardly be saved? It's always better if you get your salvation before you get your wealth. Because you'll think like this man here that, no, I would never think that. Sure you will. If you get, sa if you get wealthy before you get saved, you'll think you did it. But after you get saved, it's like, praise God. Look what, he's, look what the Lord has done. So we're going to expand our, our, our boundaries, our territories. We're going we're gonna to go out there. We're going to have precedent. We're going to find out what the Lord wants. Because honestly, for you and I, born again, we don't want what the Lord doesn't want. But we want to want what the Lord wants. We may not want it, but we want to want it. He says, I want you wealthy. What does that mean? What, what does wealthy mean? It might not be what everybody in the world thinks it is. Oh, as a matter of fact, it's not. We'll look at that another day. But, uh, but he, if he wants you wealthy, why, why fight and fuss? There's so many things in the devil that we can fight and fuss. The flesh is everywhere. We could fight and fuss with that. Why fight with the promises of God? <laughs> He says, I want you to heal the sick. Well, Lord, I don't really feel led. Then you're feeling led wrong. I want you to witness for me. Lord, that's just not my style. That's not my personality. Well, everything that's a weakness in our personality, we have to get it by faith. There's a lot of things that I'm not. And I can't just say, Lord, I'm not. He just says, well, what you didn't get by personality, you have to get by faith. So we have to adjust. I'm not a speaker. I've never been a speaker. I was never, I was an introvert. But <laughs> when is he going to shut up? Hallelujah. I will, let, me, let me just say this, and then I really will quit. Malachi 3.10 says, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse. And then we stop there. Because preachers want you to bring the tithe into the storehouse. They want you to bring it in. But the purpose of it was that there might be meat in mine house. Do you ever think about how the Lord wants to use you and me to supply the kingdom? Why doesn't he just bring heavenly oxen and whatever they ate back then and supply the priest? Why didn't he just do it? He doesn't do it. Everything comes in through us. Bring ye the tithes into the storehouse that there might be meat in my house. And, and, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord host, if I will not open the windows of heaven unto you and pour you out such a benediction, a blessing, a benediction, and uh, that you'll not be easily able to receive it. Then we could go to the scriptures, and we will. That's in 2 Corinthians. This talks about him being made poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Open the windows of heaven that you could heartily receive it. All sufficiency in all things that you might abound to every good work. Exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. It's the same thing as pour you out a blessing that you can't handle. 
You go, well, Lord, I don't feel like that's really fair and in the kingdom and it'll make me look big to have that. And I'll be just as happy driving a Buick and driving and living in a little this and, and you know, having a little camper trip once a year. Lord, that's all I, that's all me and mama want. And we're just as we're just as rebellious as the man that says, I'm going to cuss in church. We, we got to change. We got to put on who he made us. And so there's some change. You cannot have a paid for house until you prosper in your soul. I just want my paid for house, and, but I don't want to prosper beyond that. No, you got to prosper in your soul to get a paid for house and a paid for car. You got you to prosper in your soul. There's no halfy halfy. I just want this, but I'm not going. He knows. He knows our heart. Amen. Amen. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Praise God. And you know, he's already figured this out. It's not even like it's a mystery that we'll never know. Yeah. Yeah, we know. We know. Hallelujah. Praise God.